I've been working on a message all week. Uh, we're in the biography of Moses, and I've been working on this message. And what I'm not necessarily telling the the stories and the laws and the you know the truths that we learn from Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and Numbers. Uh, I want to know about the character and the personality of Moses and what we can learn from him. So the good things about his character and his personality, maybe some of his flaws. And so that's kind of what we've been looking at in the biography of Moses. And and today I was going to talk about um, how Moses fought battles, how he was able to win victory. And so if you look in your bulletin, today's title is The Postures of Battle or The, the Postures of Spiritual Warfare. He, had, he faced different types of struggles and different types of battles. He had to battle his own family at times. Have you ever had to battle your own family? You ever had to go to war with your relatives? He had to battle his family and had to battle his friends. And so he had a specific posture whenever he was faced with that. And I want to share that with you. He also battled sickness with God's people. He had a specific posture when everybody was getting sick. And so whenever there was a physical attack on the body, Moses had a specific posture. And then he was literally battling the enemy of God, like full-blown warfare. And he had a specific posture for that. I think that we need to, to look at that because the, the people of God, the church, like we're just going to, we're going into spiritual warfare and you need to be prepared. You need to know what position to take. You need to know what posture of prayer to have when you're fighting specific things. And so I want to be able to, and when I was writing this message, I could just really feel that the Holy Spirit was on it. I mean, and it was all, you know, it was just me being in the word and like, pulling things out. So sometimes I rip off sermons. This is not a rip off. Like this is 100%, you know, me and the Lord working something out. And I really feel like it, it like you guys need to hear it. Uh, just not today. I know. <laughs> so <laughs> I know. So you have to come back next week. You had a little bit of a cliffhanger, but I just, I, I want to be able to do it justice. I don't want you to hear it through this, you know, nasally mess that, that I've got going on right now. I want to give it my best because I really do believe that God's in this message and maybe it was meant to be preached next week and not this week. So maybe, maybe you have a friend that is battling, maybe they're battling with their family. Maybe they're battling sickness. Maybe they're literally battling the gates of hell and you need to invite them to church. Yeah. So there you go. Here's your little assignment. So, so that is that. So what in the world am I going to do today? And just like, because I made this decision prayerfully on the drive over to abandon my sermon. So I, I kind of reworked a message. And so what I'm going to talk about today is a couple of Moses' greatest hits. He wrote down all of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Like he wrote a big chunk of it. And a lot of our expression of faith, uh, and then specifically, of course, in the area of the law, that all was breathed by the Holy Spirit 
through Moses. He wrote that stuff down for us to live a good life, to let for us to live a prosperous, healthy life. He gives us the he gives us the game plan to do it. And and I wanna I wanna read a couple of the things that he wrote. I mean, obviously he wrote the, the you know the major stuff, but uh, we opened in the series. We opened with this. I'm gonna read Psalms 90. So he actually is accredited to writing one of the Psalms. So, uh, you know, when they were compiling the Psalms, which is mostly David's writings and then a couple of other weird musicians and we don't know who they are. But um, we we have a we have a collection of writings. And this is one of the prayers that Moses wrote for us when he's praying to God. They somebody dictated and they wrote down his prayer. So this is Psalms 90. Lord. You have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Love this. He's a bit of a poet, too, by the way. Before the mountains were born, or you were brought forth the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn men back to dust, saying, Return to dust, O sons of men. For a thousand years in your sight are like a day that has passed and just gone by. Or like a watch in the night, you sweep men away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. Though in the morning it springs up new, by evening it is dry and withered. We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. That doesn't necessarily feel too good, does it? You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins, in the light of your presence. You want me to read that one again, or is that one a little too heavy? I'm going to read it again. We all need to hear this. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. And all our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. The length of our days is 70 or 80. Depending if you're taking vitamins and eating well. If we have strength. Yet their span is but a trouble and sorrow. For they are quickly to pass and we fly away. Who knows the power of your anger for your wrath is great as the fear that is due you. Teach us to number our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Thank you, Holly. Oh, look at my cup. It's wisdom. Hey, don't go anywhere. Mako, come back, come back, come back. Oh, she figured it out. It's her birthday tomorrow. Let's sing happy birthday. <laughs> All right, I can't sing, so would you guys just, somebody's got to lead it, not me. I'm not the worship leader. All right, somebody sing. Somebody start it off. Happy birthday to you. 
Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to me. Happy birthday. You see, honey, I already had a cup of tea up here. Nigga, look, I already had a cup of tea up here. I tricked you. So I got to, I tricked you to bring it up here. Is it? <laughs> I know, but that's what I live for. I know I'll pay for it later. But... All right, let's get back into this heavy, angry God stuff. Uh, teach us to number our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Isn't that funny that she brought up this wisdom cup right when I said that? Isn't that cool? Relent, O Lord, how long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with unfailing love, that we may sing for joy and be glad of our days. Amen. Um, if you were paying attention, like this morning's atmosphere, what God was was implanting in us this morning was a spirit of joy and hope. Like if you did not feel hope this morning, I think you just need to push on in to worship a little bit more. Like God's going to give us hope. He's doing, there's something going on in in, in in God right now. He's moving and we just need to be aware that he's moving. And I don't know about you, but I want to be on board when he moves. That vertigo word land, Joe? It did. All right. Um, so we pray in the morning. And okay, so if you're somewhat new to Granite Creek, here you go. Uh, we're, we, we pray, we intercede for the service every morning. We actually kind of do it twice. And um, and so sometimes we, we ask God, what are you doing today? What, what do you want to do? So I'm, I'm just going gonna, gonna, to, I want to encourage you. I want to give you a little bit of hope. I want to I strengthen and build your faith right now. Strengthen and build your faith muscle. So we, we heard, you know, like, what, is, what, do you th- what do we think God wants to do? Does anybody want to, do we think that God wants to heal or touch somebody? And so uh, Joe says, I, I think that maybe, Maybe somebody with vertigo needs to be prayed for. What's that? You got the person too. Praise God. And how'd it go? It went well. Anybody else dealing with a vertigo right now? Okay. Not right now. Okay, Don and Cherry. Oh, and Teresa. All right. So that's what God's doing. So let's just go ahead and agree with what the Lord is doing right now. So Heavenly Father, we just ask that your healing presence just rests on our friends. And we know that that you love them because you gave them a word that you were going to touch them today. And so God, right now, I pray that you touch Don, and I pray that you touch Sherry, Cherry, and I pray that you touch Teresa. 
I pray that you strengthen them, and I pray that they just begin to, to be uh, grounded in your love, and they won't waver physically either, that they, will, they, won't, they won't spin out, that they won't be secure. And we believe right now in the presence of God, you will heal them. Amen? So when everybody was getting bit by vipers in the desert, everybody's getting sick. Moses' posture was to raise up this standard. He had a, a bronze snake on it. I'll tell you about that next time. But the idea is, whenever you are facing ailments, what does Moses teach us to do? He teaches us to gaze and, and fix our eyes upon Jesus. Will he heal you? Maybe, maybe not. But the instruction is to focus on the object of our worship, which is the crucified and resurrected Christ. That is where your healing comes from. So gaze your eyes on Jesus. It also applies to whatever else you're, whatever else you're dealing with. But that is a powerful posture. This is the posture of worship. Okay. The Lord loves to satisfy us. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy and be glad of our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen trouble. May your deeds be shown to your servant with splendor to their children. May the favor of the Lord our God rest upon us, establish the work of our hands for us, establish the work of our hands. There's a lot going on. And this is what the Lord, like, this is a prayer. This is a promise. He, he is, Moses, we believe that Moses wrote this near the end. After, you know, after you know some 40 years in the desert. Maybe he wrote it in year 39. Well, who knows? But most scholars believe that this was written after the end. Even after, all right, so Moses kind of blew it. There was a sin of Moses. Uh, God told him to speak to the rock for water, and he, he uh, Moses had a bit of a temper. I know. It's a little bit of a hothead. And so he didn't speak to the rock. He was so frustrated with people, he struck the rock twice. And that one act of, of, of rebellion, and he also said, Aaron and I are doing this for you. And he didn't say God is doing it. God is providing your provision. He says, Aaron and I are doing this for you. That was the sin of Moses. We believe that and, and he's not able to go into the promised land because of that one, because of that one act, because of that one declaration. So physically he acted out and emotionally he acted out, verbally he acted out. He was disobedient to God. That that barred him from entering into the promised land. You guys don't want to do that, amen. Like we're headed into the promised land. Let's just not screw that one up. Um, but even after you know that sad moment. We even believe that he might have even wrote this after Aaron and Miriam died. He, we have these, you know, may the favor of the Lord our God rest upon us and establish the work of our hands. This is hope. Yes, establish the work of your hands. Some of you have been working. You've been even working for the Lord. You've been working in the gospel. You've been working to, to strengthen your family. 
this promise says that the Lord is going to establish, he's going to bless the work of your hands if you're faithful. There are two, there's three mountains in, in this whole story. There's, you know, there's Mount Sinai, and then there's two other mountains. There's a mountain of blessings, and then there's a mountain of curses. And, and we want to camp out at the mountain of blessings. If we are unfaithful, if we are entertaining sin in the secret place, then we have to go to the mountain of curses because we're living under a curse. And we have to make offerings and get ourselves right with the Lord. But it is a much better place to function from a source of blessing rather than always trying to uh, undo the curse that we've caused upon ourselves. And then I wanted to read Psalms 92. And this is a song for the Sabbath. We went over the, the, the Ten Commandments a couple of weeks ago. Um, one of the major ones is that thou shalt keep the Sabbath and make it holy. Uh, we don't do Saturday, we do Sunday now. So there's a rhythm, there's a spiritual rhythm. Every seven days we must, you know, put our tools down and we must connect with God. We must worship with God's people. We must rest in his presence. Yeah, it is often my prayer whenever I'm praying for you. It is often my prayer that you have joy when you come into this place and that you have peace when you come into this place. And that, that Sunday go to meeting is a place of rest. And I learned this when I was a young man looking for church. I loved the covering of my parents. I knew I needed to establish my own faith. And I learned that I was always sideways. I was always lopsided if I did not do Sunday. Monday was Mondays are bad anyway, right? You know, when you have to go back to work, like they're hard. But I could not do it well unless I worshiped the Lord every week. And a bit of a vagabond, you know, sometimes I would go to different churches and, you know, but I just made that a priority. And it is a commandment for a reason. We have to keep the Sabbath holy. It is good to praise the Lord and make music to your name, O Most High, to proclaim your love in the morning and your faithfulness at night on the music of the ten-string lyre or the drum set or the electric guitar <laughs> or the acoustic guitar. Like one of the musical instruments in the Old Testament are shofars, like these ram horns. I have this really strange idea that if they had tubas, they would have been blowing tubas. Probably not, but that's just my imagination. For you make me glad by your deeds, O Lord, and I sing for joy at the works of your hand. 
How great are your works, O Lord! How profound are your thoughts! The senseless man does not know, and fools do not understand. What, though the wicked spring up like grass, all the evildoers flourish, and they will forever be destroyed. Okay, so this is some heavy stuff, right? But some good stuff with balance with some heavy stuff. And I want to read one other one of um, Moses's greatest hits, which is Deuteronomy six. So. If you want to turn with me in your Bibles to Deuteronomy 6. How am I doing? Am I okay? All right. I feel terrible. Okay. Okay, so Deuteronomy 6 is is one of Moses' it's so key. It is so crucial. Um, what do you think the most famous scripture in all the world is? Psalms three, uh, Psalms twenty three, or John three sixteen. Well, in actuality, it's this one. This is the most printed and written scripture in all the world because every good Jewish family has it nailed to their doorpost. It is called the Shema, and uh, we've got a little Shema. Like when you come in the sanctuary, just so you guys know, when you walk in the sanctuary, there's this cool little silver object, this little um, artifact, and it has the Shema in it. It's called a Metzula. So the Metzula is right there. So you pass that. Um, what, what Jewish people do, and they even have on every Jewish hotel throughout the world, they've got these things all over the place. That's why it's the most popular scripture in the world. Moses says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love your Lord, your God, with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your what? I was going to put my checklist. Because I got a checklist, I got a to-do list. I check off these boxes. You know, I tell God that I've been a good boy by checking off my boxes. You see, the the law of the Lord needs to be written upon our hearts, not in a, not in a rule book, not in a not in a systematic way of doing things that, that we think that we earn God's favor. And it's got to be written upon our hearts. Impress them on your children. All right, think about that for a second. Impress them. So, you know, you take the, you, you, can, you can start with the Ten Commandments. You can start with, you know, love thy neighbor. You can, you can start with any of these very powerful promises. And what, is, what, what, what Moses is saying is, is you need to impress them onto your children. Why? Is it because God's children are very, very valuable to him. Did you know that God loves your kids more than you do? I mean, I'm in love with my kid. I think she's, I mean, that's all I want to do is hang out with her and and my dumb dogs and my wife all day long. That's all I want to do is just want to hang out. 
but God loves Sophia more than I could possibly imagine. And so God's commandment for us parents is to impress this truth, the word of God, onto them and into them. And you just press it into them. How do you do it? You do it by, by speaking these scriptures and praying these scriptures, meditating, we'll go on to this in a second, meditating on them day and night. Because God's children are precious to him. The reason why we need to be gearing up for warfare is because the enemy of God wants to kill our kids. I haven't seen it yet. There's a movie that just came out with Jim Caviezel by Angel Studios called The Sound of Freedom. And the reason why we're entering into a knockdown, drag out, dirty battles because the bravery of these men that made and women that made this film, they are declaring that God's children are not for sale. Amen. And so this movie about the evils of the sex trade, sex trafficking. And I haven't again. I haven't seen the film, but I do know some of the statistics. I do. I do know that. Oh my goodness! I'm gonna get myself in trouble because I love my country. I mean, I really, really love my country. But there is a freaking problem when on Super Bowl Sunday the sex trade goes up with with children, and God's gonna judge us for that. You know, when we we're reading all this heavy stuff about God's judgment about him pouring out his wrath. Do you want to know why God pours out his wrath upon humankind? It's because we abuse children. He's not okay with that. So maybe that will, you know, maybe that will help you understand a little bit about God's wrath. He cannot just, he, God's a God of justice. And these evil men, these evil women, we know that they're women too. the Epstein Island folks and the Hollywood elite and this disgusting trade and trafficking of children for sexual purposes. You know that God's not okay with that. I know that you're not okay with that too. I I know that because how we support kid care. I know that how we, we do all these things just to help orphans. Like, I mean, this is, this is the heartbeat of God. This is the heartbeat of our church. What can we do? I mean, like it's a like how do you how do you go after something like this? I'm just I'm I'm I mean the statistics are just I mean sobering and terrifying at the same time how much child pornography is out there. There's more child pornography for every person in America uh, to, to consume. That's how much there is out there. And so what can we do to battle Satan's number one plan to destroy children, what can we possibly do? Well, number one thing that we should do is we need to get our acts together. You know, this is why we do communion on Sunday. Because I'm a sinner and you're a sinner and we need to manage our sin. Oh, it's not that big of a deal. My sin's not that big of a deal. I don't watch that stuff. I don't do that. No, no, your sin is just as bad in the sight of God. And so 
we have to say, okay, yeah, I am a sinner, but the Lord has designed me and created me to be a saint. And so that is my identity. All this identity politics stuff is all, I mean, it's just maddening right now. The, the only identity that you have is that you are a son and a daughter of God. That's your identity, like full stop. You're a son and a daughter of Yahweh, of God. And he treats us like his children. Jesus treats us. I don't understand how, why he does this. But he treats us with the compassion that he would treat his own children and the, the intimacy that he has with his closest friend. Jesus, is, he calls you to be friend. That is also identity. God is preoccupied by his children and making them strong and making them healthy and protecting. God is a protector. Amen. All right. Impress this truth, the word of God, the law. Impress the law on them, on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home. And when you walk along the road, and when you lie down, and when you get up, tie them as a symbol on your hands, and you bind them on your forehead. Write them on the door frames. That's where we get this idea. Write them on your door frames. of your houses and on your gates. When the Lord your God brings you into the land that he has sworn your fathers to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give to you a land with large flourishing cities that you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of goods that you did not provide, wells that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. Then when you have eaten all that you are and have satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. So this is what a, this is what a good father does. You are his children, and he has he has an inheritance for you. It just requires faithfulness, but he has an inheritance for you. This land flowing of milk and honey. Like you, you get to take the stuff that you did not build with. And maybe spiritually for sure, but maybe physically too. There's all these rumors and prophetic circles that there's going to be a great distribution of wealth and that the, the people of God are going to receive the wealth of nations. Uh, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. What it means for you is that God has got an inheritance for you and I want to encourage you not to miss it. Let me go back to, real quick, let me go back to how do we protect children. Again, we do it by 
managing our own sin, bringing heaven on earth, not not only into Granite Creek Community Church, but even into our own homes. Our vision for the church is to see families and cultures transformed by heaven. Like we cannot transform this present evil age if our own homes haven't been transformed. So before we begin to start throwing rocks at Hollywood and the industries and all of these things that are horrible, we need to manage and invite the Holy Spirit into our own home. So there's transformation at home first. First, individual transformation, transformation at your home, and then then church and culture will begin to transform. We're seeing it. It is so exciting when we begin to see vision come to be, come to pass. We're seeing that. It's a good job on going after vision. Now, once those two steps are done, I would say go see the movie. I haven't seen it. Raise your hand if you saw the movie. We've got some of you that have seen it. Is it good? All right. I want to encourage you to see it. I want to encourage you with the power of the Holy Spirit, led by him, the conviction of the Holy Spirit, with the wisdom of God. Like, we have to be wise. Every part of us needs to be functioning from wisdom. Our minds need to be wise. Our actions need to be wise. The the words that come out of our mouth need to be words of wisdom. I want to encourage you to take stands of righteousness inside of your own circles. If some guy at work has made it known, and I believe that this is going to take place because we've seen it in the media, If somebody at work makes known that they like to watch certain things online, I think we need to call them on it. The whole Balenciaga, uh, you guys remember that? Uh, Balenciaga is a designer brand, like Versace and all this kind of stuff. They were setting stuff up that was literally promoting child sacrifice, and they thought it was cool. And people called it out. And I think that we need to do that. We need to have enough bravery to call things out because we are literally fighting against the gates of hell here. I don't think that, again, this requires wisdom. You know, if you guys got some buddies that go to strip clubs, I don't think they do that anymore. I don't know. I think it's all internet now these days. You just, we have all of our, you know, our secret sins there. I think we should call them out on it. I mean, like we don't need to preach hellfire and brimstone, but we need to say, that's not okay. That's sin. We need to call sin for what it is. Sin is sin. And we need to say no. We all have, one of the things that I love about Granite Creek is that we're all passionate people. And, um, some of you have opinions about things. <laughs> Imagine that. 
It requires guidance of the Holy Spirit to take stands of justice and righteousness. And we have to do so in the context of his righteousness and not ours. I'll be talking more about that in the coming weeks. Uh, Self-righteous indignation uh, will get you into trouble. But being led by the Holy Spirit to take his righteous stands will lead to victory. So before you get worked up about a certain thing, and this is what this is this was Moses's problem, by the way, because Moses had this high sense of justice, right? And he was a fiery guy, he was a hothead, and so he would lose it, and then he would express his self-righteous indignation, which God did not call for, and that's what kept him from the promised land. So before your emotional state gets worked up, you need to say, Holy Spirit, what would you have me to do in this certain situation? May, may, may my words be your words. Amen? It's a tricky thing. I know. It's a tricky thing. Sometimes what we think that we're saying is right, and, and maybe it is right, but it wasn't directed by the Holy Spirit. There's so much power when our words are his words. So I want to encourage you to, oh, I'm going to give my next week's sermon away again, to wholeheartedly take the posture of submission to the Lord. You submit to God. Like we're Americans. We don't like to do that. We don't submit to no man especially Texans. Like my shirt? I got it from camp, youth camp. Jesus saves you all. We don't like to submit. It goes against our very core values as, as, as a nation. But we must submit to the Lord in order to fulfill the kingdom of God from heaven to earth. It requires us full submission. That, my friends, is when Moses was successful with the Lord. When Moses failed with the Lord, he did so with his own righteous indignation. Submission to the Lord is key to this game that we're fighting. And submission to the Lord, frankly, it just doesn't feel good. When the Holy Spirit works upon us, sometimes it doesn't feel good. Sometimes it's a little purging and and it's a little painful. I know your hearts. I know you want to take stands for justice and righteousness. And as a church, we're going to do that. But let's first submit to the the leading of the Holy Spirit. It's going to be a fight. But the gates of hell will not prevail. Amen? All right. I think my acetaminophen is wearing off. So uh, if I can have the ushers come to the front, I'm going to receive the offering first. And then I'm going to have Pastor Michael. Um, every little every Sunday we do a little devotional. So I'm just going to have Pastor Michael come up and uh, give us a little bit of life application, and then we'll receive the elements. We're going to receive Holy Communion after that. So Holy Spirit,
We can't do this without you. Holy Spirit, we can't do life. We definitely can't do battle without you. Jesus, you are our Lord. You are our Savior. You are our friend. May we align ourselves with your true identity as being sons and daughters of God. May we step into to your provision and your destiny. God, may we, may we take that land. May we reclaim the spiritual land, the physical land, the spiritual resources, the physical resources, whatever it may be, Lord. May we, may we step into your power and into your grace. And Heavenly Father, I thank you for brave, creative people that make movies, that, that puts the world on notice on what really is going on and the evil that is inside of men's hearts. Uh, we don't, I don't want to, but I pray that you would forgive them and bring them all into your salvation. But we know that your children are precious to you. And that your children are not for sale. That your children have been created to be impressed upon. So may we impress this word of God onto our own kids. May we find a way to impress this hope, this truth, this freedom upon those that are in bondage and in slavery. Thank you, Lord. I'm sure you guys have all been there. I'm sure you guys all know someone maybe used to come to the church or someone you grew up with, someone who, who knew the Lord and and maybe as life went on, you kind of lost touch, but then you, 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 you reconnected and you hear that they're still going strong. And it's encouraging, right? So in the Bible, in the, in the letters, in the you know, New Testament with Paul and, and John and everyone that wrote these letters, there's always this, this comment uh, about checking in with one another. And here's one in Third John. It says that it gives me great joy when some believers... Come, uh, came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth, telling how to continue, how you continue to walk in it. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. And it really stuck with me, and I thought about how this early church did it, and like how we are so fast with information, social media, email, phone calls. We can know how somebody is doing quick, but these guys who are setting up the, tr the church that would set up something and then leave and then not know for months, years, how they're doing. So you can imagine when they get good news that there are people still walking in the truth, what joy it must have brought them. And so it got me thinking about what does that mean to walk in, in truth? What does that mean for you guys to walk in truth? What does that mean, what, you know, what does this communion help us to do and so walking in the truth is this being consistent it's this if you belong if you believe you are a child of God then walk like a child of God here's a good one if you believe you are forgiven then walk like a forgiving person don't put that shame on you don't put those things on you you are forgiven and you are a child of God Another thing is this, walk in the truth. 
walk in a way that is real and genuine, not with phoniness or conceit. I'm telling you, we, we don't want you to be a people. I mean, if God's called you, but that's great. But we're not asking you to be a people that is like on the corners evangelizing, telling everybody about Jesus. But we do want you to be people that walks in the way God wants you to walk. Because your walk is your greatest testimony to people. Because everyone is watching. But going back to that, you know, if you're a forgiven person,
All right, so one of uh, Moses' other greatest hits is the blessing that I love to send you off to. So now may the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you. May he turn towards you in your times of need. May he fill your home with the atmosphere of peace. That, my friends, is heaven on earth. May he transform your family today by the power of peace. Go with that blessing today. It's going to be a good day, and it's going to be a, a week of victory. Your Monday is going to be amazing. God bless you all.